Welcome to Fostering Hope, a program that opens a door into the world of foster care and adoption, sponsored by Foster Adopt Connect. You'll hear stories from all facets of foster care, from kids who have experienced the system firsthand, from parents who are taking on the challenges and rewards of creating forever families for foster children, and from child welfare workers and policymakers who work within the system while also working to make it better. Besides hearing important stories, you'll learn how you can help society's most vulnerable children in big ways or small. Please welcome our host, the Youth Program Supervisor at Foster Adopt Connect, Nathan Ross. Welcome to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. Hi, Jen. Hi, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? Good. Good. We are joined today with Nakatia Clay from Impact, who will be talking to us about education and what her organization does. Hi, Nakatia. Hello. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, so could you start by just kind of letting us know what impact, who is Impact? What, are, what does your organization do? Sure. Okay. Well, Impact, we um, began in 1988. Uh, we were awarded the first Parent Training and Information Center grant that was offered in Missouri through IDEA, which is the Individuals uh, with Disability Education Act. Uh, we started with a collaboration of two Missouri parent advocacy agencies um, that came together, and we were successfully awarded that grant. Um, Impact has continued to receive that grant over the past 20 years. Um, our mission is to empower families to advocate for themselves so that their children who have special needs can reach their full potential um, through education, um, supports, and training um, that we offer. It sounds like you got started um, in a way very similar to our own agency, Foster Adopt Connect. It also started as an advocacy agency, uh, just a couple of foster parents who wanted to help other foster parents advocate for what their kiddos needed um, got together. And I guess when a community really needs a service, it just kind of blows up from right. there, right? Exactly, exactly. That's wonderful. That's awesome. And, and so what kind of services are offered through IMPACT? Well, we have uh, several services that we provide to parents. Uh, the first that I'll mention is um, information and resources. Um, Impact, we're available to provide parents and families with information um, and valuable resources on different topics related to disability. Um, these resources are um, resources that parents and families typically Will not, would not have or would not receive if there was not an agency such as Impact in um, existence. Um, we provide uh, referrals to other programs and other services that parents are not aware of. Um, another service that we provide is individualized support. And what that means is um, navigating through the special education process, it can be difficult and overwhelming. So what we do is we provide one free one-to-one um, phone call and email assistance. Um, that means um, parents or individuals can contact our state office. Um, then they would refer to a regional coordinator or a parent advisor to assist them with whatever their issue may be. Um, we also provide free in-person support at school meetings, so what that looks like is if a parent has a concern or um, doesn't really understand, you know, something that's going on with the child, um, doing the IEP, 
um, process or meeting, um, we can attend those meetings with families just to be that extra support and to help them um, understand, you know, what's being talked about, what's going on, um, and help them navigate through that process. Um, one of the other services we provide is leadership development. Um, and what that means is that we provide parents the opportunity to become leaders in their community. Um, and we do that through our mentor program. Parents are trained to help other parents successfully navigate through the special education process. And that's really effective because when you can connect with someone who is dealing with the same issues that you have, the same concerns, and that person made it through, and, you know, you connect with a family that's going through the same thing, um, you know, it's, it's more effective. It's more effective. So, And we also provide training. Uh, we provide free training to parents students and professionals, uh, we do that um, in a, one, in a uh, group setting. Uh, we also have online training. Um, some of those trainings include disagreement, resolution, um, bullying prevention, how to effectively advocate, positive behavior interventions. We um, do those trainings throughout the state of Missouri. That's really cool. Um, I was wondering with the leadership what types of parents are usually participating in the mentoring program? Um, do you ever get? I, I imagine, I guess, a certain type of parent, but um, maybe someone who's, you know, been a leader before. But do you ever get younger parents or parents who have never held any sort of leadership role before participating in the mentoring program? The thing with our mentoring program, um, a lot of our parents, surprisingly don't have that leadership, I would say, experience mm -hmm. um, as we would um, kind of look at it. But um, I, I've attended IEP meetings with parents who felt like they didn't have the information or they didn't understand it. They didn't. They felt like they didn't know um, what they were doing. Mm -hmm. But when I would go into the IEP meeting with them, you know, I would be surprised. I would be so amazed because the parents really had more than to offer than what they thought. Mm. Um, and so when we would come out of the meetings and I would talk to them, you know, a lot of parents that I've encountered, they have the information, they have, they have it, but the only thing they lack is the confidence mm -hmm. because they feel like because they're not professionals or because they may not have a degree or um, they feel like they don't have anything to offer. But those are the parents who become mentors. Mm -hmm. um, all of our regional coordinators, we all have children with special needs. We did not start out with impact. We started out with our own personal experiences, and that's what led us to become um, effective um, um, coordinators, you know, assistant yes. parents. So it doesn't, I'll say it doesn't matter if you don't have the, the educational background or the leadership background. We are all leaders. Sometimes it just takes um, someone to pull that out, mm -hmm. pull right. those, those qualities out. And who knows your kid better than you do, right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so you mentioned um, you make outside referrals or you help refer them to other services. What does that look like? Well, we, a lot of times our parents don't have the information. You know, sometimes those services are right at their back door, but they don't know that they exist or they, they've never been told. One of the um, 
programs that we have or services we provide, we have RTNs, which are Regional Transition Networks. And what that means is that we collaborate with other agencies who support youth and individuals with disabilities. We all come together in one setting and we discuss the barriers and we discuss um, how to get that information to parents. So once these um, agencies collaborate and we come together, we create ways to um, connect families with those agencies. So if a, if a parent calls me and they say um, they have a child who um, is visually impaired um, and they need assistance with the IEP process or whatever, I would assist them with what I'm supposed to do as it pertains to um, helping them with the IEP, but I may have a connect, I may have a contact for an agency that um, to go even further mm-hmm. in getting that parent maybe assistive technology, I could connect them with an agency who supports them in that area. Um, whereas they would not have known about that service had not they contacted Impact. Okay. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That, does that answer your question? Yes, yes it does. Okay. Um, and so on that, you, you mentioned the different types of um, disabilities and things that children might have and parents don't know what to do with. With that, do you f- face any, um, do you work with any parents who are facing like educational neglect charges or anything like that because they're not aware of what services they need for their kids? I personally, as a regional coordinator, have not um, experienced that, but I'm sure in the history of impact that that has um, come up. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I myself have not experienced um, so, so that, then it's type, all, that situation. Yeah, so it's all parents then are coming to you, they're opting in um, before it gets to the place where the state has to intervene. Right. Hmm. Exactly. That just makes me think, I wonder what would happen if, um, you know, it was suggested to parents that are on their way to an educational neglect charge if they knew about the services services. Impact has. Because I think something that's really hard for the parents that we work with that have educational neglect charges and also I think it works for medical neglect as well. A lot of times um, they don't know what more they could be or should be doing, and it's scary to ask for fear that that's going to just get you on the fast track right. to a charge yeah. or that yeah. somebody's going to think you're that you're not parent. a good parent. Uh-huh. That's so scary, but if they knew that there was a service that valued their opinion, they might um, react differently, I think. Yeah, and, and I'll add that, you know, those agencies that um, they do refer parents to us. We do receive referrals from them um, because, you know, you can pretty much tell if, it, if it's educational neglect mm-hmm. or if it's a matter of the parent not having the information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so we get those referrals and we help parents understand, you know, what it is they need to do, how they need to move forward and making sure that that child receives um, the support that they need. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we actually um, have to go to break here in a little bit, but when we return, we would like to continue this conversation with you about impact and really kind of get into the demographic information. So what do the parents look like? What do the children look like? Is there a geographic area that is mostly affected? So when we come back, we will go through all of that on Fostering Hope.
Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I'm your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. Um, we are talking with Nakatia uh, from Impact. And I'm sorry, before break, we forgot to ask you, what does Impact stand for? So could you just let us know what, what, do that, what does that acronym stand for? Impact stands for Missouri Parent Act. Okay. Okay, and so with that, Missouri parents, um, you mentioned also before break that you had a connection yourself with this work before you were a coordinator. Can you talk to us about what that connection was? Sure. Um, well, my son, uh, Mikhailin, he's 14 now, but he's had an IEP since he was uh, three years old, and I was a young parent. I didn't, uh, he had several disabilities, um, um which caused him to have an IEP, which is the individual education uh, plan. So being a young parent, not really having a lot of resources, um, I didn't understand what my rights were. I didn't understand what advocacy was. I didn't understand that I had a voice um, on that I was a decision maker, mm-hmm. as it, you know, when it came to his um, education. So he had a lot of behavioral problems, um, that caused him to um, stay in trouble a lot at school, um, even from kindergarten um, to about the, I would say, maybe the third grade. So I can remember times I would have to walk to the school to pick him up because the teachers couldn't, you know, control him. He wouldn't, um, you know, do anything that the teachers would tell him. And it was really difficult. Um, I would have to sit in the classroom with him Mm from the time school started until it was time to go home, just so that he could remain in the classroom and receive, you know, some type of education. Um, that became very stressful, mm-hmm. very frustrating. Um, I could not work mm-hmm. um, because I had to be there with him. Um, and I didn't have anyone at that time to say, hey, you know, this is available. You can do this or you can do that. So ultimately, I ended up removing him from the public school. I homeschooled him for three years, not really knowing what I was doing, right. but, you know, I, I didn't have any other alternative. Um, I could not, I couldn't work um, because I, I was there with him full time. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was very difficult. It was very hard. But I remember someone, I don't remember who it was, but someone connected me with Impact when I finally decided to put him back into public school. Someone connected me with Impact. I was connected with a mentor. Um, that mentor, I remember she came to my IEP meeting. Um, and as soon as she walked through the door, the whole atmosphere of that meeting changed. It wasn't, you know, anything intimidating, mm-hmm. but it was just having that person there um, I wasn't there. I was no longer by myself. You know, during that whole time, I felt like I was alone. But when that impact coordinator came in, I felt like, you know, I was no longer by myself. Mm-hmm. So we were able to get accommodations for my son. We were able to get things set up in place for him. And he has been in school. This, I think this was um, maybe when he was in the third grade. He's in the ninth grade now. So he has been in school. Um since that time, um, and he has received the support and the guidance that he needed. Now, if someone, and I tell this, uh, every time I have a training, I tell this to uh, the participants. I always tell this story because I try to make that connection to let them know, hey, we're not just here to uh, just give you a bunch of information. We understand how you feel. I know the process. I know how it feels to be that parent on the other end. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And if anyone had told me that I would be a regional coordinator for Impact, after all of that, I would have been like, you're crazy. (laughs) No, that's not going to happen. But when I look back at that experience now, I know that it was for a purpose. It was for a reason. So now I can... Um, when I get that distraught parent on the line or that frustrated parent on the line, I can connect with them because I know personally, firsthand, what they're feeling and what they're going through. Now, Katia, you had mentioned um, helping parents understand their rights, and you had also mentioned um, accommodations for their children. And I was just wondering, um, you don't have to go into all the rights or all the accommodations, but are there trends that you see in what rights or and or what accommodations parents tend to be less aware of when they meet uh, with you? Yes. And, it, and it's amazing because uh, we cover the entire state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. And I, I talk to parents from Kansas City um, to Carothersville. Um <laughs> And most every situation is the same, um, whether or not the child can have a, uh, a personal aid, um, whether a child with autism who's a flight risk, if, if they can have um, certain accommodations in the classroom to keep the child from um, leaving the school or leaving the classroom uh, without someone knowing about it, um, assistive technology for a child who cannot um, read. Um, and these are, you know, it's the, really pretty much the same across the board, which surprises me um, because you would think it would be different, you know, just being in bigger cities, you mm-hmm. would think there would be more accommodations available, right. more support, uh, but it's really not. You know, it's pretty much the same all around. Wow, I definitely would have made that assumption. Right, and that mm-hmm. makes that brings up a question that I had um, and that's, as you're talking about it being pretty general across the board, is what does the typical parent um, demographic look like when they come to impact? Is there a certain type, or um, does that also vary? Um, I won't. I can't say that there's a certain type. Mm-hmm. I work with parents who are. Um, I don't know what word I want to use, but I've 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 had parents who um, have college degrees, mm-hmm. um, but they don't have a clue when it comes to the special education process, mm-hmm. and they're the same as that parent who doesn't have an eighth grade education mm-hmm. or who only has an eighth grade education. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is a. Um, the special education process is unique within itself. It, it targets um, every parent, regardless of what class mm-hmm. you're from. You know, it, it's a, yeah. it's a, it affects everyone. It almost sounds like an equalizer, like all of it those is. parents are still just parents who love their children enough to seek help, and mm-hmm. they don't know what they're supposed to be doing, and so exactly. they need someone. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We've had doctors. Oh, to contact us, mm-hmm. um, counselors. Um, we've even have we even have special education teachers, um, coordinators to contact us for assistance for support mm-hmm. because you know because they don't really may not know or may not fully or just may want that extra um, support or that extra you know, those extra resources or information. Mm-hmm. Well. 
And uh, so I know we have to go to break soon, but one quick question um, that I had is, did you find that you had a lot of pushback from people when you were working with your son to get his um, needs met? I did have a lot of pushback. Um, and I have to be honest, um, I had a lot of pushback. I was uneducated about the situation. Um, I didn't have, you know, I, I kind of feel like I was um, purposely, it was purposely intended for me not to have the information. Um, I think that was um, not, you know, not by the school or anyone else. But I think I had to tunnel through the process and feel the frustration and the hurt and the effects of all of that so that I could really connect with parents when I was, you know, um, get to the point of working with impact. I had to dig it out and, and pray it out and, yeah. you know, until I got to, you know, got the information I needed. Cool. And that actually was a perfect end. We have to go to break, but when we return, okay. I want to continue asking, you know, some questions about um, the clientele. So when we come okay. back on Fostering Hope, we will hear more about impact. Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. We're talking with Nakatia Clay from Impact today about what Impact does educationally for parents and kids with special needs. And so, Nakatia, before break, you were talking to us about your own personal experience and how you felt that you were withheld some important information about your child. And so I kind of just wanted to know real quick, how do you use that experience in working with your families now and training even coordinators to work with families? I think first I want to, um, I guess I need to clarify um, the statement of being withheld, uh, information being mm-hmm. withheld. I don't think, and I'm I encounter a lot of parents who feel like the school is um, against them and mm-hmm. that, um, you know, they don't want to help their child. They don't want to support their child. It's easy to feel like that when you don't have all the information. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So what I meant was um, I, I wasn't connected. You know, I wasn't connected in my community. Okay. I wasn't connected to the different agencies. Um, they may have had the information that I needed but I, I didn't, you know, allow myself to, um, you know, to be a part of, okay. of the different agencies in the community. So I encourage parents to, um, you know, connect with your community agencies because they can give you um, resources that you wouldn't normally have access to. Um, and your question, how do I use that to right. support families now? Okay, so what? I try to make, first I try to, um, I listen to my, to the parent's story and I try to find, um, myself in their story, which is not hard to do. Yeah. Um, I find myself in their story and I think about what would I have wanted to know when I was in this situation? Mm-hmm. What would I have wanted someone to do for me? Um, and so that's what I try to remember when I'm talking to parents and all of our coordinators, we put ourselves in that parent situation and we um, help that parent. You know, we, we don't only give the information, but we help them understand the process. We make sure that they understand how to use the information that we've given them. And we, we don't stop it at the beginning. We don't stop in the middle. We go completely 
um, until that parent is okay with, um, you know, going out on their own mm-hmm. and doing it by themselves until they feel confident enough to do that. We stick with that parent. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And, and that okay. just leads me into yet another question. <laughs> okay. And that is, like, can you tell us about a time where maybe um, the advocacy that your agency went through did not yield the results that you had hoped for and kind of what you feel like contributed to it not being as successful as you might have wanted it to be? Sure. Um, I think whenever there's a, a positive you're going to always have a negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a learning process. Everything we do is a learning process. What works for one parent and may not work for the next parent. Yeah. Um, and that's why I, I really respect our, our, uh, our director, Debbie um, Stewart. She's always creating or thinking about ways of how to better support our families. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she finds out that something is not working or when and one of the coordinators finds out, something is not working. We come together and we talk about it. Um, you know, it may be a matter of how we're, you know, taking the phone calls or how, you know, the referral process. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, when I first came on with Impact, you know, parents were having to go through um, several different channels before or several individuals before um, they got to where they the person that they needed, if that makes sense. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, so now we're trying to, you know, fix that to where parents are immediately getting the support, mm-hmm. um, quickly getting the resources, and not just um, not just re- impacts resources, but we we research other agencies and um, we're connecting them with other agencies to kind of go a little bit beyond what you know, what our job description is or what our responsibilities are. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for you, some of the things that weren't going successfully were internal processes. And for parents, some of the things were internal processes to impact. And so changing those up and making it more mm-hmm. effective and efficient for parents was kind of exactly. one of the ways. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, yes. w- and what worked last year may not work this year. So mm-hmm. we're yeah, keeping that open mind and not being afraid of change. Um, not being afraid of doing things differently. Um, yeah, that's, that's what so we're good. all about. That's so good. We, uh, in our own agency, mm-hmm. face that very same thing. And I know that one of the things I feel like makes agencies very successful in this field is that ability to move with the times and mm-hmm. do what's necessary for families and not say, well, we've always done it this way, mm-hmm. so we have to keep on. Mm-hmm. I think I read on your website that you also um, obviously work closely with Desi and um, you know, work with Desi to make sure that all the information that you're sharing in your trainings and sharing with parents is always up to date. Because I know um, policy and procedure and education changes qu- quickly, <laughs> rapidly, constantly. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I've reached out to Impact in a previous career was because I just mm-hmm. couldn't keep up and I needed somebody to help me. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a constant. <laughs> Change. Do you have um, any, maybe a favorite story that you have of, of implementing advocacy or helping to connect a family with resources? Uh, I do. I was actually, I was thinking this morning, we have um, our mentor coordinator, mentor and transition coordinator, Miss um, Carrie Ragsdale. She just recently took that position, but she has been a regional coordinator for um, several years, but she started out as a parent, um, 
who didn't understand the, the process, the special education process. And she, and this was, I don't, I don't know exactly how many years ago, but I, I know it's been a while. But um, she had a uh, regional coordinator to attend an IEP meeting with her. And she often shares her story when we come together. Um, Debbie, who was our coordinator, our director, rather, she was uh, Carrie's um, mentor at the time who attended the IEP meeting with her. And how the story was told, um, Debbie was sitting in the meeting. She was holding her newborn, her baby, and, um, you know, helping Carrie to go through this process. Many, many, many years later, Carrie is now the uh, mentor coordinator, mentor and transition coordinator for Impact. So she went from being that um, frustrated, um, uneducated parent mm-hmm. to now holding a very high, um, highly recognized position with Impact. Wow. So wow. that in itself lets us know that you know success is for everyone. Mm-hmm. That's for anyone. <laughs> yeah. So that is awesome. Very powerful that statement. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. And so, how you mentioned something? Uh, you mentioned a little bit about referrals. How uh, can anyone make a referral to Impact? Yes. Anyone. Okay. Uh, we receive referrals from the public school um, counselors, medical professionals. Um, even just word of mouth, um, even the parents themselves, they don't have to just go through an agency to get, you know, connected with us. They can um, contact our state office um, and they'll be connected with a coordinator, you know, accordingly. And and so is this a free service to parents or is there um, payment involved? All of our services are free to parents. Awesome. There's absolutely no, no charge at all. That's awesome. Um, (laughs) what what are the, are there any age restrictions? What are the ages of the kiddos that you guys are working with? Well, we actually serve, um, children birth to 26. You say 26? Yes. Oh, wow. And so does that include college prep or post-secondary education? It does. It does include post-secondary education. Nathan looks, Nathan looks very excited by this information. He works with, with, Older youth up to 26, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I work with yeah. young adults who are aging out of care up to 26, and education is often the thing that they want to pretend, um, pursue but can't because of various circumstances that have led them to have kind of a hard time with education. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say I'm glad you, you asked that. Um, and I, what I wanted to mention, um, we do, you know, provide service uh, assist youth in post-secondary education, one of our main um, services we provide is uh, transition. So we want to, we target those youth who are in transition to kind of, you know, to help them build that foundation to be more successful once they are out of high school. Um, One of our um, popular events that we have is our Tools for Life Summit. Um, we're approaching our ninth annual summit, and it's held. It's going to be held at the Truman Building in Jefferson City, um, October the seventeenth. So this this event is for all youth. We have, I think, last year we had over three hundred youth to attend this event, um, and it is free um, to schools. If any school in the state of Missouri wants to bring youth to this event, they are more than welcome to do so. That sounds amazing. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and we have different um, 
agencies that work with uh, transition. They come in, they provide information. We have uh, lunch, provide lunch, and it's just a full day of um, a creative way to get information to you. Last year, we had a guest speaker, Aaron Lichen, um, who has um, autism. So okay. he was our guest speaker, and he talked, you know, to the youth about his experience and how he um, took his situation and, and made it a positive um, situation, you know, in the long run. Wow, that's really cool. And I'm going to have to for sure get in contact with you after the show <laughs> to make sure that we get some more information because, again, we work with a lot of young people who want to pursue higher education and they just they struggle. Right. Uh, right. and, and so we do have to go to break again. Okay. Uh, but when we come back, I do want to talk with you kind of, not kind of, I want to talk with you about outcomes and what you have noticed impacts, well, impact has been <laughs> on the community there. Um, and so when we return, we'll wrap up with that and kind of what can the average person do to help education, to help the field and to impact the work that um, you all are doing. Mm-hmm. So when we come back okay. on Fostering Hope, we will continue this conversation. Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. Hi, Jen. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Yeah. yeah. We, we've been talking to Nakatia Clay from Impact about her experiences and the work that she does helping parents and um, children who have special needs and need special needs education plans and things like that. Mm-hmm. Hi, Nakatia. Hi. Uh, and so before break, we had been talking about, again, your history, the agency's history, and some specifics of your agency. Can you talk to us about what um, differences you feel you've been able to make, your agency's been able to make in the community? Sure. Um, I think that me personally, being the area that I live in is very um, – I live in Pemiscott County. Pemiscott County – is um, named as the most impoverished county in in Missouri. It's one of the most impoverished counties in Missouri. Okay. So to have impact in this area is a, a really big thing because you you're there's a a, a name there's a face mm-hmm. with the organization and that's what people want to know. That's what people want to see. Mm-hmm. They don't just want to see um, your organization's name, but they want you know someone that they see every day, someone they can relate to, someone they went to school with. And that's what, what happens with our regional coordinators. Um, our map, we're broken up into regions, and we serve. I know I, I myself have 25 counties. Mm-hmm. Um, and our other coordinators, we work in the areas that we live in. Mm-hmm. So people know us. You know, when, we, when we're giving them this information, they don't feel intimidated. They don't feel like, you know, we're you know, just trying to throw things at, at them. But we actually have relationships in the community with these people and with the different organizations. Wow, wow that would so be thought, yeah. so comforting as a parent, but also I think um, just building those relationships with other professionals and, and showing exactly. that you're a person that knows what they're doing um, probably exactly. helps a lot. And, um, so... You, you've mentioned now, you know, being regionally and things like that. And so 
do you feel like there's a significant benefit to having the regional directors and having those local people versus having like a one person in the entire state that they would go to? Do you notice that people feel more comfortable knowing that they are people in their community? I definitely feel, I I know that people are more comfortable because um, our coordinators with us being able to work in our areas and, and in those, you know, the counties that we were surrounded by, we know what's available. We know what's out there. Mm-hmm. And then we have, um, we know how to get parents connected versus me being in Pemiscot County or Carruthersville trying to find support for a family that's in Kansas City. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, I don't know anything about Kansas City. Yeah. But I can refer that parent to that coordinator who's in Kansas City or mm-hmm. um, in St. Louis, and they can easily connect that parent with someone. So we, you know, that's why I really enjoy working with the other coordinators because we, you know, we just have that connection and we, we know how to get, how to get it done. You know, who to get, who's going to be able to better support that parent, right. that family. Awesome. So speaking of getting it done, what more could be done to support these families? And I'm not just talking about impact, but what would you like to see outside of your agency improve? As well. Mm-hmm. I guess um, I guess I would have to say more collaboration, um, more agencies. Um, I guess connecting, coming together mm-hmm. with the same. We all have the same. I guess I hear the saying, um, "Why recreate the wheel?" Mm-hmm. And I found that a lot of agencies are doing the same thing, but they're not connected to each other, mm-hmm. and that's difficult because you have parents going, it's like they're trying to go through this maze to try to figure out what do I need to do, who do I need to talk to next, instead of having um, those agencies, I hope this is making sense, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, instead of having those agencies connected together and that parent is only having to talk to maybe one person right? Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe, you know, no more than two people before they can get the services that they need. Absolutely. I think that makes complete sense. And one of the reasons why um, we love having people from our, you know, community and from our child welfare world and education world coming on the show. So uh, Nathan and I even can get a better right. understanding of what's mm-hmm. out there and that our, our listeners can get a better understanding of what right. is out there. Wonderful. Yeah, we definitely see that push for collaboration, yeah. that need to be there. Mm-hmm. People sometimes get a little territorial. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. especially in this field, it's important to know that we're all in it for the benefit, the reason of helping exactly. other people. Mm-hmm. And so we got to work together. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. So um, our, aver- our listener, our average listener is just an average person. Um, they might be, you know, interested in child welfare and that's why they're listening. But for the most part, they're just an average person. What, if anything, could they do to help, um, you know, move Impact's mission along? I would have to say become a mentor. Okay. Um, and it, when I say become a mentor, you know, some people think that, uh, again, this is going back to our earlier segment, but they think, well, you know, I don't have the education. I don't know how to do this, I, you know. But I think we're all, we are all leaders. We are all mentors. I, if you meet someone in the grocery store and you're telling them where to find the chicken noodle soup, yeah. I mean, you, mm-hmm. just, yeah. you actually just gave someone information that they did not have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you become that mentor, the only thing you're saying is that I want to help. 
Yeah. You know, you don't, we have a, a training that we, that our mentors go through, um, but it's not overwhelming. It's not overwhelming. And it just simply gives you that, gives the individual that right to say, I'm doing something in my community. Um, whether it be attending, um, IEP meetings with a parent, maybe it might be offering phone support mm-hmm. to them, uh, or emotional support. Mm. And I, I encourage, um, you know, sometimes I've talked to parents over the phone and I, it wasn't that they needed me to attend a meeting. It wasn't that they wanted a training. They just simply wanted someone to talk to. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and having that being that listening ear for that person, because a lot of times they already have the answer. They mm. just have to talk through it to be able to get to it, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. Um so I, I would have to say become a mentor. And if, if, if someone is listening and they want to know how to become a um, mentor for impact, they can contact our state office. I don't know if I should yeah. give that number yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that number is 800-743-7634. And we would love to have you on our team. We would absolutely love to have you. Cool. That sounds great. Thank <laughs> it, you. And so I just want to, we have to close out our show, but okay. I want to thank you so much for being on our call today and for talking to us about impact and sharing your own experience. That's very moving and powerful. Um, and I also know that it can be difficult to, you know, put yourself out there. So thank you so much for letting us know everything that you all are doing. And I for sure look forward to working with you all personally uh, <laughs> in the you. work that we're doing. Um, So you've been listening to Fostering Hope, brought to you by Foster Adopt Connect, a comprehensive regional support and advocacy center for abused and neglected children and the families caring for them. To learn how to become a foster parent or how you can help vulnerable kids in other ways, please visit us us at fosteradopt.org or follow Foster Adopt Connect on Facebook or Twitter. We will be hearing more about our educational components Mm -hmm. um, in later segments throughout the month, so please tune in for that. And as always, do whatever you can to make a difference in the lives of children and the families who are caring for them. Until next time, this has been Fostering Hope.